Good morning. Morning. Um, my name is Johnny, and uh, I'm really grateful to be here this morning with you in Strandtown Baptist. I'm actually, I'm really, really grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm married to Naomi. We are, are from East Belfast. We live over near the Braniel at the top of the Castlereagh Road. We belong to Orangefield Presbyterian on the Castlereagh Road. We bring their love. Uh, but Naomi and I are at a, a very special age. And when you are between 25 and 30 years old and you belong to a church, you discover that weddings are a very expensive hobby. And it's a hobby that we've taken up. And last year we were at 11 weddings uh, in the calendar year and that was an expensive hobby. Um, I was really grateful to receive an invitation to be here this morning. It was such, it's always a privilege. Uh, And then my wife said to me, maybe um, six or seven weeks ago, uh, Johnny, we've been invited to a wedding in England. And I thought, oh no. And I opened my diary. And as I flicked through the pages of my diary, I found an invitation to be at Strandtown Baptist Church this morning. And I thought, thank you. so much and uh, it was one of those conversations where I said oh love I I would love to go (laughs) but I'm so sorry I just I can't make it Um, so my, my wife has actually come home from our holiday in California and got straight back onto a plane and gone over to England for the wedding. So we had a good holiday. Uh, I'm having a little bit of an out-of-body experience here this morning, having just come back. But yeah, it's wonderful to be with you today. My plan is to do something that might be a little bit different. You're not going to get three points today. I want to take you on a journey to the heart of Alpha. And I hope that you will be inspired and encouraged encouraged to journey more deeply into the practices at the heart of Alpha. And I also want you to receive by faith this morning what the scripture says about our destiny. The scripture says that our destiny is to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And I would love if uh, by his Holy Spirit, God would just impress on us again by faith that that is true that it's not a cliche or wishful thinking, that there may be, and I'm sure there is a wonderful heritage of faith in this church and people that have gone before us for decades who have prayed and reached out to the community with the gospel of Jesus and built family here uh, at the foot of his cross and yet our best days are still ahead of us and there is a story being written over us That is an amazing and beautiful story of his love and his grace. I want to start a journey this morning into the heart of Alpha with uh, a story of two days that changed my life. Two days that I guess I've never forgotten. You know this yourself. Life is lived in moments. And there are certain moments in life that you are so deeply imprinted onto your memory that you never forget them. One of those for me was at 12 years old. And I had just started secondary school uh, in the area. And I had a teacher at the time uh, Let's call him Mr. Um, Farmer, right? That, that actually was his name. Um, and 
Mr. Farmer was my chemistry teacher, and I discovered shortly after starting school that I had two types of teacher. One w- would, would have been called a slow cooker. Um, a slow cooker in school is a teacher who gives you plenty of warning that their anger is going through the gears, so you know when to step back from the line. It's kind of, you know, please be quiet. I've told you to be quiet. Look, I won't ask you again. Will you be quiet? Please be quiet. You know, you get plenty of warning. The other type is more dangerous, but more exciting. Um, the, <laughs> the volcano um, the volcano gives you little or no warning at all that there may be an eruption of anger which as I say makes it all the more exciting Mr. Farmer had slight volcanic tendencies he would sit behind his desk a picture of serenity but uh, you weren't aware that underneath the surface irritation was rising and sometimes he would explode uh, with anger if you really pushed the boundaries and he had one particular pet hate he hated people breaking his safety goggles when you were in school did you ever use those plastic safety goggles with a Bunsen burner and um we used to break those sometimes and they weren't very durable. Mr. Farmer hated when we broke them and I remember this one day we came into class and he started to talk to us about the safety goggles before we'd even sat down and I thought, okay, today is not the day to break a pair of safety goggles. Uh, I had a friend called John. He was a prolific destroyer of safety goggles, one of the clumsiest guys I'd ever met and I thought, I think John is going to break a pair of safety goggles today and we're going to see actual uh, blood shed um, yeah which is terrible but also as a 12 year old exhilarating and uh, the class was an hour and 10 minutes after 40 minutes everyone had been really 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 careful with their safety goggles nobody had broken them about 10 minutes to go there was a, a little crack somewhere behind me and sure enough I kid you not John had broken his safety goggles and every, there was this collective intake of breath the whole class waited to see what would happen and Mr. Farmer he was irked we could see that he was annoyed but he just took a deep breath and he was like it's okay John just go and get another pair. And, well, personally, I was like, what? Come on. You know, (laughs) is that it? And John went and he got another pair. Five minutes later, John broke a second pair of safety goggles. And this time, there was fire and there was fury. And Mr. Farmer went mad. And he was like, what did I tell you about the safety goggles? And the volume was up through the roof. And again, it was that moment of terror and exhilaration all at the same time. And John did something that I have never understood and yet is so deeply etched in my memory. He actually stood up. So we're all sitting on those stools that you remember from chemistry class. And John stood up. And I think it was just the shock of the volume that was coming in his direction. And as he stood up, uh, this um, kind of rant began and it went on and it went on. And after about 45 seconds, Mr. Farmer was finished. And he said, it's okay, John. Right, just sit back down. Mark Atkinson, uh, if anybody knows him, congratulate him for me. Mark Atkinson, another friend of mine, uh, in a moment of opportunistic brilliance, took his safety goggles, slipped them onto John's stool, and John sat down on a third pair of safety goggles, and the other two were cracked. This pair were obliterated, like instantly turned to dust. And John, as he sat down, he let out a little giggle, you know, of probably feeling like, that's it. 
I'm dead. That's the last thing I'll ever do. And uh, I just remember, I can still hear Mr. Farmer's voice just like, get out! And John kind of took himself off. And, and that was that. And I will never forget that day uh, to the day I die. A few years later, when I was 16, I had another day that I'll never forget. Uh, I, was, um, I was 16 years old, and it was really the day that I met with the God I had heard so much about. I'd grown up in a family of faith and in a community of faith, and I had heard a lot about Jesus and his love for me and who he was. And there were some vital connections between my intellectual grasp of that and the deepest parts of my heart and my soul that hadn't really come together. And suddenly in this moment, uh, with a, a lot of intensity and just this crucible, transformative moment in the presence of God with a lot of snot as well. There was a lot of snot. Um, I encountered his love for myself. And I've come to understand that as a Romans 5 verse 5 moment. Romans 5 verse 5 says that uh, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I just love that. God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The invitation that we have in Scripture to know Jesus and to walk with him is an experiential knowing. The Holy Spirit is the one who allows us uh, in his grace to experience our theology, to have his love poured into our hearts. And I just felt like everything in my life went from black and white into technicolor. And I remember getting back into the car with my family. And I grew up in a family where sometimes there was faith, and yet, in the strangest way, Jesus was also a taboo subject. I remember getting back into the car, and I had left those guys behind a few days previously as one of the most insecure and unhappy teenagers. And now I got back into the car knowing who I was, knowing who I belonged to, um, having had my heart profoundly softened and changed by his love. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know where to begin. It was like, how do I explain this? And that began the greatest adventure of my life. You see, up until that moment, I had characterized God in my mind as being a little bit like a science teacher. I never doubted his existence throughout childhood. I even spoke to him sometimes, but I didn't really know him. There was a distance. There was an unfamiliarity and an uncertainty to our relationship. I sometimes, at my worst, I thought of him as an arbitrary rulemaker who was perhaps slightly on the edge of his nerves and um, would, could explode with anger when people got it wrong. And then I met the God who I'd heard so much about, and his love changed me. Another few things began to happen that were unexpected. The first thing was that I, I began to realize that I deeply wanted the uncommon Christian life. I, I didn't want to live a second-hand faith. I didn't want to live my life hearing rumors of God. I wanted to see God moving in real time. I, I was so hungry for that. I think it was um, Habakkuk prayed, you know, we've heard of your fame, God, and we know of your deeds. Would you renew them in our day and in our time make them known? I, I wonder what your stories are. 
What, what is the story of your heritage here in this family of faith? I wonder what would happen if our prayer stepping into the next season, into the next term from now until Christmas, what if our prayer was, Lord, we've heard of your deeds before and we know of your fame. We read about them in scripture. We have a heritage of faith here. Lord, would you renew them in our day and in our time make them known? Lord, we are hungry to see you moving and working in real time and in our world. What if that was our prayer? Um, I wanted an uncommon Christian life and I wanted to see God moving in real time. I also found that I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I had been so ashamed of him before. I don't think I can remember ever using his name in conversation. And suddenly when the Holy Spirit got a grip on my life, it kept coming out. I couldn't stop talking about him. And I wanted people to know him so desperately. And yet I found sometimes when I shared him with other people, the way that I was doing that played a wrong note and it made me and others awkward and uncomfortable and it began to blur some of the lines of trust or confidence that I had in friendships and yet still that that hunger was there. You guys should know this already but there's no magic in an alpha brand. There's, no, uh, there's nothing special about a question mark at a 45 degree angle. Um, alpha is simply about sharing Jesus with others. And it's kind of as easy and as difficult, as simple and as complicated as that. Alpha is not the only way of sharing Jesus with others, but it is one way. And it's one way that works. Uh, We have Alpha in 130 countries. 29 million people have tried Alpha. And when you run this year, um, when you begin Alpha this term, you'll be one of around 500 over the next year in Northern Ireland that are happening around us. The church of every denomination in Northern Ireland runs Alpha and uh, we all of our prisons run Alpha which has been one of the most exciting developments for us. We have Alpha in schools. I have seen Alpha in Northern Ireland in golf clubs in pubs, in board games, uh, cafes, in living rooms. Last year in Northern Ireland, I found Alpha in English, in Spanish, in Polish, in Farsi with Iranian refugees uh, down at Windsor in South Belfast, in Romanian, and even a group working uh, in Dundonald in British Sign Language. Well, that is just amazing. Um, so Alpha is about sharing Jesus, and uh, in some ways it's as simple and as complicated as that. But there's another piece on Alpha that is less well understood. Alpha is about shaping the culture of the church. Every church has a culture. And culture is a difficult thing to talk about because just when you think you have a grasp on it, it kind of slips away. It's such an abstract thing. But every church has a culture. Uh, And my heart is that the culture of our church would be a brilliant and faithful expression of what it means to be the church of Jesus. A culture is just the way we do things around here, an established set of values and practices and behaviors. But sometimes within the church, you have this intrinsic sense that the culture needs to change, that there's something about the culture that is just slightly off kilter, or there's something about our culture that could be more faithful or more brilliant as an expression of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a story about a Catholic priest called Father James Mallon who wanted to run Alpha in his home parish. And the first time he wanted to run Alpha, he encountered a lot of opposition. And one of the problems was that they only had one hall available to run Alpha. And there was a cards club that met in the hall. Now, the cards club had been established in the year 1412. And some of 
Some of the founding members were still in regular attendance. And they had a meeting to discuss this problem. And the meeting went round and round and round in circles. And finally, one woman, completely exasperated, like at her wit's end, spoke out loud what she really thought. And she said, Father Malin, we don't need to hear about Jesus. What we need is cards. And he looked around the room and he realized that there were quite a few people in the room who shared the sentiment. Now that is not where you are. And in Orangefield, it's not where we are. It's very few churches find themselves in that place. But sometimes, sometimes it can happen in ways that are more subtle. Sometimes in ways that just creep in over time. Traditions get established. Um, Our our boundaries, our unspoken boundaries uh, get established. And there's something about our values or our priorities or our behavior or our culture that you just have this intrinsic sense, we need to change this. And Alpha is an amazing tool for shaping and changing the culture of a church or it gives, it brings clarity to our purpose and our identity that can slip away very easily. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets constantly were calling God's people back to clarity over their purpose and their identity and what God had called them to do and who he'd called them to be. Jesus turned the temple upside down. It's often depicted as this loss of control. But Jesus had been in the temple a short time before and he had gone away and he had reflected upon what he had seen and done. And in a very uh, deliberate way, he tackled the problem that he saw with the worship of the temple, which was the people had lost a grip of their identity and their purpose and who they were called to be. What about Revelation? Jesus calls the churches in Revelation uh, through the vision given to John back to a brilliant and faithful expression of who they were called to be. And he says, remember what you did at first and get back to doing that. Alpha is about sharing Jesus and shaping culture. And it does that with three key practices. And this is my challenge for you today. This is my encouragement for you today. What can you do over the next number of months to press in with more ambition and more enthusiasm into these three key practices? Okay. How can you take hold with faith of what the scripture says about your destiny that we're to be transformed from one image of uh, glory to the next from one degree of glory to the next uh, and run with that as you practice these three things they are food the gospel message and friendship food the gospel message and friendship has anybody ever, ever heard of tracy crouch does anybody know who tracy crouch is no Tracy Crouch is the first ever United Kingdom government minister for loneliness. She was appointed a couple of months ago. In fact, Tracy Crouch is the first government minister for any country in the world for loneliness. And her job is to do something about the 9 million people in the United Kingdom who suffer profoundly from loneliness. After her first week in the job, she was asked how it was going. And she said this, the reaction was phenomenal. I found my secretary under the desk. The phone hadn't stopped ringing. The emails were insane. A lot of people came to see me. Canada, the UAE, Iceland, Sweden, Japan, Germany. In fact, I can't think of a region of the world that didn't follow this up. New Zealand have literally just been in touch to say we're watching what you're doing, so no pressure. Why? Why? Because this is our cultural phenomenon. 
This is our cultural moment. And I think in many ways Northern Ireland uh, has probably experienced a a lingering um, legacy of Christendom in the cultural atmosphere a bit longer than the rest of the United Kingdom and the south of Ireland. But yet this is the direction that we're traveling in. Our cultural moment and phenomenon is a generation that are hyper-connected, hyper-individualistic, and yet digitally frazzled isolated, dislocated, hurting, and more than anything else, perhaps, lonely. The UK government sees a crisis in that. I am convinced that for the Church of Jesus Christ, there's a remarkable opportunity. You see, every single post that a young person makes on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, I find that 99% of the time they're asking the same question. Does anybody see me? Does anybody hear me? Is there anybody out there that cares? And the church has an opportunity to say, yes, somebody does see you and somebody does hear you. Do you know, uh, 10 years ago on Alpha, people think Alpha's never really changed that much, that the content has always been the same. But our culture's changed. And 10 years ago, I, I can't, maybe you remember, we used to have these little cartoons for Alpha of a, of a guy carrying a massive question mark on his back. And it was supposed to represent the one big question that people came with. Well, 10 years ago, that question was, do I believe this? That's what people were asking when they came on Alpha. Do you know the biggest question they come with today? Could I belong here? That's the, that's the number one question. That is the biggest question that somebody carries in with them. Now, they might not vocalize it. They might not recognize it or even have the language to express it. But that's their question. Could I belong here? Is it a place that I could be at home? John Mark Comer, American pastor has been leaning into this stuff really heavily. And he once said this, he said, what if we discuss all of these methods and all these strategies and all these ideas about evangelism and we've actually missed something that's much easier and that totally transcends culture and time? What if the most undervalued and underused way of introducing others to Jesus is food? I think that's amazing. He also said this, he said, you know, in Luke 7:34, you get the mission of Jesus. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. In Luke 7.34, you get the method of Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. What if Jesus had a mission to seek and to save the lost, and he had a method, eating and drinking? Robert Karras said, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, every single time you encounter the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he is either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. I find that totally remarkable. The New Testament word for hospitality has maybe never had any greater relevance. You'll have heard of xenophobia, the fear of the outsider or the stranger. The New Testament word for hospitality, xenophilia, the love or embrace of the stranger. Jesus was the ultimate example. Who A man, a fully human, fully God, who came to us and by my very nature... Um, I am consistently inclined to, to drive towards things and to ache for things that are not God's presence in my life, that dishonor him and that let myself down and that elevate myself in the place of God and in my brokenness as a stranger and far away from God and his love. Jesus uh, 
was rejected, and in his rejection, I found acceptance. The greatest example of hospitality. Let me ask you a question. Why uh, do we talk about hospitality using the same root word from Latin uh, as we use for a hospital? Why is that? Because there's a connection deep in the fabric of the universe between being welcomed and being healed. Between finding a place of belonging and experiencing healing. Tim Chester said this, Around the table we offer friendship and we celebrate life. Meals offer a divine moment, an opportunity for people to be seduced by grace into a better life, a truer life, and a more human existence. Do you know there was a lady on our last Alpha course in Orangefield who at the end of Alpha, she hadn't really shared a lot during uh, the, the kind of sessions about where she was with faith. And at the end of the last session, we, we kind of rounded everything up and she just burst into tears. And I don't think anyone was expecting it and someone put an arm around her and said is everything okay can, can we pray with you and she uh, through the tears just spluttered out I've never belonged to something like this before I just thought wow guys I, I've, I've had it wrong I used to think of food and drink as a means to an end I used to think we bring people in and give them something to eat and drink in order that we can get them underneath the message of the gospel the food and drink is an embodiment. It's, it's, a, it's a revelation. It's a demonstration of the gospel message itself. It says, because he was rejected, you can belong. Because he was rejected, you're accepted. And we love you. We want to listen to you and we respect you. Uh, my favorite Alpha story in Northern Ireland is from uh, a church in Ballymena. And uh, about eight years ago, they got together as a leadership team. And they said, you know, we feel like an institution. We don't feel like a family. And, and I have often thought, you know, wow, that's amazing that they would, I guess, front up to um, that reality and not just carry on as if there was nothing wrong. And they decided to run Alpha and they had a, a, a small evening service. And in their evening service for one season in the life of their church, not forever, but for one season, they asked everybody in the church family to come together and to do this on a Sunday evening. And they had a meal together. And as I say, in, in subsequent years, they've done it in lots of different ways, but just as a one-off, they all came together and they had a meal together for 10 weeks. And they had over a hundred and fifty people there every week, which was a doubling of their numbers on a Sunday night. They took a, a weekend away to the north coast. Uh, there were 14 people came into membership of the church or to faith for the first time. And when they came back, their elders gathered together in a room and celebrated what God had done. There were a, a lot of tears and it was just wonderful. And they said the most profound thing that happened on Alpha for us was that God took an institution and a service provider and he turned us into a family. And I just thought, isn't that a, a, the most wonderful um, example of culture in church beginning to change? I met another lady recently who was giving her testimony on an Alpha Sunday, a bit like this. Uh, she was called Phyllis. And she told me that she had been widowed young. And uh, after her husband had died for a long time, she did everything for herself. And she walked in on Alpha and somebody put a cup of tea in her hands the moment she came in the door. And she said verbatim, as I took that cup of tea in my hand, it was like Jesus himself said, sit yourself down, Phyllis, I'm going to take care of you now. She didn't even really know him or about him. And yet she heard his voice. 
when somebody put a cup of tea in her hand and she came to faith. And I thought, Johnny, you've, you've had it wrong. Never underestimate the power of welcome and of a cup of tea. I'd love to encourage you, um, be ambitious with hospitality on Alpha. Know that in our cultural moment, hospitality can be and possibly even should be the centerpiece of Alpha. When people come in, how does the place look? How does it sound? Does it say we've been expecting you? How can you journey deeper into the practice of hospitality over the next couple of months? How can you cross-pollinate your own table? What about at home? What about uh, when you're out in, in a restaurant? How can you bring people who know Jesus and love him together with people who don't? And without any particular agenda, invite the Holy Spirit to be involved around that table and see what happens. Food is so pregnant with potential when you know and love Jesus and you invite the Holy Spirit to be part of your conversations. I've said far too much about that. Um, The second aspect, I guess, or practice on Alpha is the gospel message. And it's the centerpiece, really, uh, of what we do. And when I say the gospel message, I mean the significance of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus for individual lives and for the whole world. That's our message. I I think sometimes we need to, and I particularly need to rediscover my confidence with that message. Uh, In the past, in our culture, we have seen that message delivered in a way that is a bit disembodied or a bit combative or a little bit loveless. And Paul said, you can preach the gospel till you're blue in the face. You can share that message with everyone you know. But if you don't have love, then it's bankrupt. And maybe as a reaction against that, we have sometimes struggled with our confidence in the message. And yet Romans 1.16 is clear. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It is still the power of God unto salvation. I love the image that John receives in Revelation um, that the worship of heaven is of the Lion of Judah who appears as the Lamb who was slain. In other words, even at the very end of time, even uh, in heaven and in the fully manifested presence of God, We never graduate beyond the significance of the cross as the centerpiece of our worship. And as a church, we we don't graduate beyond the cross to anything more profound or more beautiful or more powerful. It's still the hope that we have. Uh, Paul in Romans 10, that was our reading today, makes this argument, and it's not a difficult argument. He, He just says, how can someone believe if it has never been articulated to them, if it hasn't been preached and communicated to them clearly. Uh, again, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, I think um, 5.20, Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors as though he was making his appeal through us. And surely, church, if the New Testament patterns are still guiding us in any way, then part of that appeal that we are making is a verbal appeal. Good news, news by definition is communicated and verbal communication is often the easiest way. It's important that it's not the only way, but it's often the easiest way. When people come on Alpha as a guest, they know uh, and can see and can smell when there's an agenda. So here's what we do as a church. We tell them what our agenda is. We say we know and love Jesus and we would love you to come to know and to follow Jesus as well. And it brings this clarity and this authenticity to what we're doing. Uh, And at the same time, we recognize that people are on their own journey of faith and their own journey of discovery. And we give them the time and space for that to happen. That all sounds great. The only problem is that it's not easy. 
it's really difficult. Do you know, it's really easy to encourage someone to take a box of Krispy Kreme donuts for free. When I lived in England, I was walking through Durham city centre one afternoon and somebody told me, a complete stranger told me that Krispy Kreme donuts was opening and they were giving away boxes, not just like one donut, a box of donuts for free. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I need to see it for myself. So I I ran down to Krispy Kreme Donuts, and sure enough, they were giving away boxes of 12 donuts for free. And without really thinking about it, I suddenly became a passionate evangelist. I, I was texting my wife. Then I was calling my friends. I was pretty close to grabbing complete strangers by the scruff of the neck in the middle of Durham and saying, dude... They are giving away boxes of donuts for free and telling someone, actually, did, did you know they were doing it in Belfast? True story. You, you won't believe this. Krispy Kreme donuts opened in Belfast earlier this year. They were giving away boxes for free. What happened next? The police came and shut them down. Seriously, they had no license. Apparently, you need a license to give something away in Belfast city centre. And they had no license, and the police came and shut them down. There's a guy in my church who will remain nameless, and he studied law, and he was having an argument on the street with a police officer, like, you can't do this. And he ended up on the BBC News, and I thought, like, what a hero. Like, he was prepared to, he was prepared to stand up for the people, say, we will have our free donuts. But listen, um, it's easy to tell people about free donuts. Let's admit something to ourselves. Telling people about Jesus is difficult. And there are two main reasons for that, I think. Um, the number one reason is that there's a, just a, a common um, kind of post modern uh, thought which says that that's great for you but not not really for me and we don't believe that we believe that jesus is the light of the world that anybody who aches or drives towards anything in life is longing for the presence of god for themselves they just don't know it um we don't believe that but that's what people think and the other problem is that there's a gap in the conversation so um, it's very easy to ask someone in work, how's your wife, how's the weather? But the, the gap between that and like, what do you make of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sometimes just the most like enormous chasm in the conversation. And Alpha is a way of beginning to bridge that gap in the conversation. Alpha is a way of introducing people to the confrontation, and it is a confrontation with the gospel in a way that only the gospel could possibly cause offense. And if it does, it's something we have to live with. But nothing else could possibly cause offense. And it also begins to get underneath the skin of that postmodern way of thinking as well. This is the last practice that I want to encourage you regarding on on Alpha. So there's food, there's the gospel, and the last practice on Alpha that is really at the heart of all that we do is friendship. And in a nutshell, it's this. Paul said to the Thessalonians, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but also our lives. For me, that, that is Alpha. I could just share that with you today and walk out the door. Paul said, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but also our lives. Guys, let me tell you something. Evangelism is easier than you think. It really is. I promise you, it's easier than you think. It's just more inconvenient than I would like. The real secret and the real engine room of Alpha is conversation and friendship and discussion. 
And what happens on that is that we don't teach people, we don't correct people, not at first, maybe in time we do, but we don't teach them, we don't correct them, we don't um, kind of pontificate about what we believe and um, why we believe it. We, we give people space and time to vocalize what they believe themselves in a place where they are safe, where they feel listened to. And what happens is that people have never vocalized what they claim to believe before. They've maybe never really thought about it deeply. And as they vocalize it, there's this realization in their heart that says, this doesn't actually make a huge amount of sense. And this gospel message of Jesus that I am tasting in what these people are putting in front of me, that I can see in the love that they have for each other, that I can hear in the presentation on the screen, is starting to make a lot of sense. And it's kind of like the lost art of making friends. I don't know, did anybody watch I'm a Celebrity last year? It's maybe, that's maybe going back a little bit. Harry Redknapp won it. Uh, I, I remember watching that and just being fascinated by what was going on because these people had been released from the tyranny of time and schedule and pressure and also released from the tyranny of being digitally uh, frazzled all the time and being kind of constantly informed about what other people are doing and thinking. And they all became friends. And a lot of them were coming from very different backgrounds. There was a really broad kind of demographic. uh, And yet they became friends. And some of them had their lives changed by that experience. There were that many tears on camera. And you just got the sense watching it that it was a really, really special thing happening. It turns out that friendship is the most effective strategy for surviving in the jungle. Friendship is also the most effective strategy for showing somebody the difference that Jesus makes. It's really powerful. Um, People who have a positive experience on Alpha are also your most likely to invite somebody else the next time, and you begin to get a little bit of a a snowball effect. And as I say, it, it begins with sharing your own life. Evangelism's easier than you think, but it's more inconvenient than you would like. And yet, you know, when the Titanic sank... There were 472 unused spaces on lifeboats that were sitting at a comfortable distance. And it's a recorded fact of history that the first-class passengers complained about the inconvenience of going back. I find myself sometimes cut to the heart by that, that truly deep down one of my greatest struggles with evangelism is the inconvenience that it causes me and the risk that I might have to take and the friendships that might experience a little bit of jeopardy if I said to somebody come and see and yet Alpha's always been about friends bringing friends Mike Pilavachi said the most uh, the best marketing strategy the only marketing strategy of the church ever has been friends bringing friends Did you know that 94% of people who come on Alpha have been personally invited and brought? I find that really challenging. Um, We get on on the postcards that we make, the flyers that we make, the posters that we put up, the social media posts that we um, schedule, we get about a 6% return on that. It's really, really low. Um, It's fantastic for creating awareness, but 94%, according to our best research, of people who come on Alpha have been personally invited and brought. But get this, the same research study that we did with Barna told us that around one in six invitations tend to be successful. So you would need to invite six people 
in your world if going by the law of averages you wanted somebody to come on alpha? What does that mean? It means that we need to step out and take some risks and say, would you come and see, come and see. And here's the other thing that we need to do. We need to celebrate unsuccessful invitations. Whenever we tell stories from the front, and it's always, I invited my friend and they came along, um, I feel sometimes disempowered by that because I invited my friend and they didn't uh, and that was frustrating or disappointing and I just let it go but what we need to do is we need to encourage each other we need to spur each other on and we need to say make the invitation and when somebody uh, says no we need to celebrate with each other because the moment the invitation has been made to Alpha that is a success that, that is what we want um, food the gospel and friendship. I wonder, could you believe for a, a big harvest this year for transformation of lives at the cross of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God? Could you believe that um, the best days of your church are ahead of you, that you're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, and that these practices of food and the gospel message and friendship are at the heart of Alpha? And as you journey towards that heart and as you make them a priority as you value them in the life of the community uh, who knows uh, what you will see God do over the next three or, or four months I'm way over time. I, I want to tell you one last story. Maybe the, the band, uh, we're going to sing a few songs. Yeah, maybe the band will come up and join me. Um, I want to finish with one last story, and I don't know why I want to share this story. It's really ridiculous, but I just feel like it would, it would it's the right moment. Um, a few months ago, there was a, a massive gorilla that escaped from London Zoo, and the gorilla was called Kumbuka, and Kumbuka got loose in, in London, and as far as the zoo was concerned and the staff team, this was like code red. This is the thing that should never, ever, ever happen. And there were a series of security mistakes and this gorilla got loose and there was panic, widespread panic, because the staff were, you know, they were seen in their minds like King Kong, you know, climbing the Empire State Building. It's not in London, but you, you get the idea. Um, they were terrified about what was happening and they set off on this frantic search for Kumbuka, this monster of an animal. And as they searched for him for, for an hour and, and two hours and three hours, like there, again, there was just panic. And they thought, who do you call? Do you phone the police? Do you phone the fire brigade? Do you phone the army? How do we find this animal? And after three hours of searching, they thought, well, look, let's try a different strategy. Let's look for him in the most unlikely place. They went back to the zoo. They went back to his enclosure. Beside his enclosure was the zookeeper's office. And in the zookeeper's office, sitting on the office chair, reclining on the office chair was Kumbuka. Kumbuka had opened the fridge and he had drunk four and a half liters of undiluted Ribena. And he, he, had, he had passed out in a sugar coma. And they took him and they put him back in his cage. Um, why on earth do I want to finish today by telling you that story? Well, it's because sometimes in, in the practice of our faith and in the adventure of faith that we've been called to, over time, we actually prefer entertainment and comfort and the Ribena of life in whatever particular form you prefer it. 
But the Bible says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I want to invite you today as you journey into food together and gathering around the table, as you come back to the gospel message together on Alpha, and as you journey deeper into friendship together and discovering Jesus afresh, can I invite you to be a King Kong Christian? (laughs) Called to adventure, willing to take a risk, and reaching out for the more of what God has for us. And to set down the the kind of spirit of the Kombuka Christian that I see in myself all the time that says, just give me the Ribena and let me recline on the chair. Hopefully that makes some sense to somebody. (laughs) 